Father, we ask that you would give us eyes with which to see and ears with which to hear and hearts with which to understand the deep things of God. We pray your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. In Romans chapter 6, I'd like to pick up the narrative beginning at verse 15, and then I'm going to read a few short verses at uh, the end of that from Romans 12. But follow with me while I read beginning at Romans 6, 15. Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So there Paul is making a distinction between you either obey or you disobey. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So here the Apostle Paul is saying, if you are a Christian, something remarkable has happened. You were a slave to something, and now you're a new slave to something else. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave to the intense uh, beckonings of the devil, the uh, beckoning of your own sinful heart, to do those things that God didn't want you to do. But if you were a Christian, remarkably, you've become a slave of a different kind. The word that the Apostle Paul uses is a common Greek word that simply means a bond slave. You're not your own. You're not somebody that is just, oh, I've become a believer and now I'm going to do my own thing. That's not what a Christian is. Understand that because a lot of the church is, is sadly mistaken. And that's the approach that they take. That, oh, you just believe and then just kind of do your own thing. You want to go to church, go to church. You want to stay home, stay home. You want to give to the church, give to the church. You want to not, don't. You want to do your own thing with your own lifestyle the way you were before. You don't have to really give up anything. That is not the case. That is not the case. But I want to qualify that right away because sometimes people will ask this question. Here's a person that says, you know, or they want to have a discussion with me about what it means to be a Christian. Pastor Bill, do I have to give up smoking? The answer to that is no. Do I have to give up drinking? The answer to that is no. Do I have to give up stealing? 
Why would you be stealing? Well, you know, it helps supplement my income. A little shoplifting here and there. The answer to that is, yeah, you got to give up stealing. A child says, well, you know, I, I really, I like being disobedient. If I become a Christian, do I have to become obedient? Yes, you do. Why? Because God says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the earth. When Saul became a Christian, he might have asked this question. Well, do I have to kill, give up killing those who are followers of the way? The answer would have been yes, you have to give up killing people. And so on and so on and so forth. And what Paul is saying here, and what he's arguing for, you're still a slave, it's just you're not a slave to sin. You're not a slave to doing your own thing and sinning against God. You are a slave to God, and as such, you're to present yourself to him. And you're to present your mind, your mouth, your body to him. Let me just finish this section, and then we'll go right over to Romans 12. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. There's that big word again, sanctification. What does that mean? God wants you to be like him. God wants me to be like him. We live in a world that's quite intent on doing its own thing. And God says, no. If you're going to be a believer... If you're going to call yourself my child, there are certain rules. And the number one rule is obedience. Not perfectly. You're never going to be perfect in this life. But you don't use imperfection as an excuse. He continues. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit? were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. In other words, before you became a Christian, where were you headed? Headed toward hell. Able to please God? Absolutely not. But I wasn't that bad. But the thing is, you weren't good enough. Because God expected perfection. And you weren't perfect. Well, I'm confused because, Pastor Bill, you just said a second ago, God doesn't expect me to be perfect right now. Well, that's true because you can't be perfect, and Christ has lived the perfect life for you, and in Christ you are perfect. But even though you can't be perfect, he still says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, the standard is still there. But it's not to try to earn your way to God. That's already been taken care of. The person's made right with God, not by what you offer. Okay? 
It's not like, for example, in the Catholic Church, believing in Jesus and following the seven sacraments. No. No. It's not that way at all. It's not like any other religion where you're basically trying to earn your way to God. You can't earn your way to God. The end of those things was death, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, a person might be listening to this and saying, okay, what does that mean, practically speaking? How do I make that happen in my life? Go over to Romans chapter 12. And there the apostle expands on it. And here his appeal is not the same appeal as what he's presenting in Romans 6. But he's saying that, and he's appealing to, because God is so merciful, because God has been so kind, because God is so loving to you, the logical result as to what you offer him back is, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, what does that mean? Here's what it means. All of me, all of you, head to toe, Again, how you think, how you speak, what you do, Paul is saying here, by extension from what he's presented in Romans 6, the, the actual outworking of what our response ought to be. We're no longer under law, we're under grace, we've been justified, the sanctification process has begun. He's saying, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Uh, how much of me? Again, what does Jesus say when he's asked the question, which is the first and greatest commandment? What does he say? He says, love the Lord your God, and listen to his answer, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, some would say, okay, Lord, what does that mean? What it means is all of you. All of you. Think of a given week. We all have the same amount of time, don't we? I run into this all the time. I was talking with a friend the other day, and, and I'm afraid that, you know, what I was trying to say uh, got lost in translation. That was not my intent. But I, I said <clears throat> to that person, when, when I look at <clears throat> many folks at Lamb Foundation, 
the one thing that I don't have that I wish I had more of, and, and if I had enough money to buy all the time I wanted, I would. I can't buy time. I can buy as many different glasses as I like, and I have a bunch. I can buy as many different watches as I like, and I have a bunch. But I can't buy any more time than God has given me, and you can't either. We're at the beginning of the week. First day of the week is Sunday. It's not the last day of the week. Oftentimes we think it's the last day of the week because it's the end of the weekend. It's the first day of the week. New week started. Lord willing, if God keeps us alive between now and next Sunday night, when we meet again, each one of us will have had 168 hours. Subtract out the amount of sleep. Some of you sleep more, some of you sleep less. The amount of time you eat, the amount of time you waste, the amount of time you exercise, the amount of time you watch TV, the amount of time you read, and so on and so forth, that you spend on the, on the phone, and one of the things that I find fascinating, really fascinating, is when I speak to some of you and some of the other folks at LAM, but also in my life, beyond LAM, and I ask, are you doing such and such? Are you doing anything? Are you enjoying? And oftentimes people will say something like this. I just don't have the time. And, and for some people, I look at it and I say, how is it that you don't have the time? See, you have the time, you just don't have the inclination. You have the time or you don't have the motivation. You have the time, but you don't have the interest. But the reality is, you have the same amount of time as I do. And every week the clock is ticking. And as God is the one doing the measuring of such things, God is interested in knowing this. What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your time? Years ago I went to a seminar on decision making. And it was interesting because, you know, the person, I mean, it seems like a simple thing, simple subject. But some of the insights that the person offered were helpful. And the person focused at one point on indecision and was saying that how sometimes people just don't want to make a decision. They don't want to make a commitment to something. So they'll come up with things like, you ask them to do something, and they'll say something like this. I'll get back to you. i got to think about it. And the point that that person was making was this. Unless you learn to make decisions, good, bad, or indifferent, five years from now, 
The only thing that's going to be different about you in your life is you're going to be five years older than you were now. But perhaps no further along, because you didn't want to make decisions, you were afraid to make decisions, you thought it was going to be the wrong decision rather than the right decision, instead of understanding that decision-making has a certain degree of risk to it. But what Paul is saying in Romans 12 about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, he's saying... This is the natural result of what you and I should be doing if God matters to you. Because he wants your focus, and think about it like this, he wants your focus to be far less on the day-to-day and the tomorrow and the next week and the week after and the month after and the year after. Because all of those things are small potatoes compared to at some point life is over and guess what? Eternity is forever. <clears throat> Whenever I have a birthday, it's probably a week or two that I'm not focused in my thinking in a way that I'm generally not for the rest of the year. And I'm taking stock in different things and, and you know, things that matter to me, things that, that oftentimes, you know, I keep internalized. But part of what I think about, especially with another birthday coming up this week, is how many more birthdays do I have? How many more Christmases do I have? How many more Thanksgivings do I have? How many more times do I have to see loved ones? And some people could say, well, you know, how old are you going to be? I'm going to be 68 this week. And some people would say, oh, that's not so old. I'll tell you what. It's older than some of you. And sometimes it doesn't feel like 68, it feels like 88, depending on the aches and pains of life. Not so much the worries of life. The worries of life have changed remarkably since I've become a Christian. Again, you know, when I put my head on the pillow, Lord, you know, see me through the night, see Anne through the night. Watch over our kids, our loved ones. And if you choose to take me home, please take care of all of those people. And I sleep comfortably. I, I don't, you know, fret about that, think about that, worry about that. But that's not always been the case. But we're not talking about that. But during the waking hours... What am I doing with my life? What are you doing with your life? Are you listening when God is speaking? Again, do I appreciate the politeness? Yes, I do. 
Do I appreciate the attention of all of you? Yes, I do. But I also look at all of you as living souls. All of you that will, whether you believe it or not, you will, as I will, one day stand before the Creator who created me and who created you, and he will want to have a discussion in terms of what did you think of my son? And in addition to that, what did you do with your life? Did you just fritter it away? It's easy to do that, isn't it? We all know that it is. Between TV and the internet, reading, hobbies, whatever. You know, it's easy to come to the end of a week and say, no, I did nothing this week. Here's something you should be asking yourself on a regular basis if you're a Christian. Am I working at becoming more Christ-like in how I think? There's a young lady I encountered some time ago when I opened the bank account for Shepherd's Chapel. And it was in, in a moment, a happy moment, and the next moment, a sad moment. And I'll tell you why. She was very helpful. Got the account opened up. And at some point, you know, I noticed she had on her wrist, as my daughter, a couple of my daughters have on their wrists, a tattoo. So I noticed the tattoo and I said, oh, excuse me, couldn't help but notice your tattoo. And she said, oh, it's WWJD. WWJD. What would Jesus do? Based on a, a book written years ago by Charles Sheldon, and the book was titled In His Steps. <clears throat> and it was about a town that accepted the challenge of the local pastor that before you did anything, before you spoke with people, before you interacted you know, at work, whatever it was, start the day, what would Jesus do? Before you made major decisions, ask the question, what would Jesus do? So as I was talking to her, you know, she said that, and I just smiled, and I said, oh, that's, that's a, a wonderful expression. And I was thinking she was going to say, it was a wonderful, you know, thing, and, you know, she got this tattoo, and it reminds her on a regular basis, and instead, in the next breath, she said, one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest mistakes of my life. And I said, oh, why? She said, well, I, I used to believe those things. But I, I really don't anymore. And I got this stupid tattoo. And I thought, how sad. How sad. You know, probably grew up in a church, probably at some point as a young person. You know, made a profession of faith, maybe got baptized. 
was all excited about Jesus and church and those kinds of things and got, what would Jesus do, WWJD, tattooed on her wrist, and now she, here she is, a young professional in a bank with something that she regards as a stupid tattoo. Eventually, she'll probably get it taken off. But I thought, how sad. Now, I'm not encouraging any of you to go out there and get a tattoo for any reason. But take the WWJD with you. Because in a nutshell, if we could say, what does Paul want to communicate, either here in Romans 6 or Romans 12? He's saying in presenting yourself to God, in essence, you're saying, Lord, my thing, my intentions, my goals, my wants, my wishes, Lord, those pale in comparison to what do you want. Here I am, I'm at your service. What do you want me to do? Every now and then we get some people that come to us and they have to do community service. And they end up coming to Lamb. And there are some that, that come with good attitudes, and there are some that just want to get the hours done and us sign off on something, and, and they really couldn't care that much. Those that we appreciate are the ones that, you know, we ask them to come in such and such a day, be at the office at 9 o'clock, and they start off like this. I'm here. I got 30 hours ahead of me. I'm available, I have skills, what would you like me to do? Whatever you want me to do. In other words, what our desires are, what our needs are, what our wants are, they're at our disposal. That's what God wants of you, and you, and you, and all of us. I hope that you'll take these things to heart. Again, there are times that I, I listen and I sound probably like a broken record to myself, and I must sound like the same to you. But there's nothing fancy about Christianity. But it's things that we need to be reminded of because our sinful hearts not only want to forget and want to excuse ourselves, and God says, no, I want a people that are going to be godly. I want a people that are going to testify about me. I want a people that are going to be examples in a dark world. I want a people that are going to pray, not only for their loved ones, but for a world that heaven help them all if they don't repent and believe. I hope that some of you are those people. I think some of you are. And I hope in the coming days ahead, and if God gives us years, the years ahead, that more and more of you will become that as well. Let's take a few moments and pray and thank God for the time that we've had. And also I'm going to uh, refer to some of these prayer requests. Father, there are many needs among us, not least of which, that our mindset needs to increasingly become what would Jesus do? We pray that you would help us to understand those things.
for your glory, but also for our good. We pray as we come in Jesus' name that you will continue to bless this little work, Shepherd's Chapel, that you would help us to be a light in this particular community for months and years to come. Lord, for each of the folks here, we pray that you would give us ears with which to hear and hearts that are matched up with those ears that become hearts of understanding. 